2: Log Talk Radio.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: All right, folks, while the theme music cues up, we'll start talking right now. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Call the calling number is 347-884-8500. And in just a minute, we'll kick this show off. We'll get it started the right way. Son of Islam, son of America, President of the United States, our Commander-in-Chief, Commander of the Armed Forces, arguably the most powerful man on the planet right now, President Barack Hussein Obama. He's the man right now. He says that he his job isn't finished. He's got 5 more years to go. Not sure if he's including this year, which is well underway. Maybe he's just rounding the number off. Maybe he's just you know like when a person says, uh, hey, give me a second, and it's like five minutes. Where did that ever come from anyway? Give me a second. I'll get with you in a second. I guess people have become so impatient that a second is supposed to be about a minute, two minutes, three minutes, I myself can't stand it when somebody says, hey, I'll be with you in a second. Since when did a second become such a very long, long time? When? Barry. In his own words.
0: College acquaintance. If you listen to only one interview uh, in your entire lifetime... Uh, about this president, you might want to listen to this one, and here's why. The gentleman we are about to say hello to knew Barack Obama back in 1980. Why is that so significant? Because we know nothing about this man. We don't have health records. We don't have a birth certificate. We don't have college records. We have nothing. Who knew him? Where are his friends? Where are his acquaintances from back then, um, 30 years ago? Well, we have one one man who himself was a Marxist back in 1980. He had just graduated from uh, Occidental College and was attending grad school elsewhere. But his girlfriend uh, attended classes with uh, Barack Obama. And Christmas break 1980, they all got together. And joining us now is Dr. John C. Drew. He's a grant writing consultant from uh, Laguna Niguel, California. Hello, Doc. How are you, sir?
4: Oh, hi, Steve. I'm really honored to be on the air with you today. Well,
0: the the honor's mine. Um, first of all, uh, I, I want people to know, I mean, do you have any axe to grind here? I mean, do you dislike Obama for any reason? I mean, is, is there any reason you're coming forward? I know you tried to come forward early, and we'll get to that. But you're saying that when you knew barack obama uh he talked uh, as a marxist would speak and he praised the soviet union and he had problems with america uh is there, tell me why you are are speaking out about this well
4: i'm i'm one of those people that i agreed with the young barack obama i was a marxist myself in the fall of 1980 but over time my opinion changed especially as i worked on my uh, doctoral dissertation and i looked at the relationship between child labor reform and the rise of welfare programs for for children in the U.S., and I just realized that the Marxist model didn't make any sense based on my experience. So I uh, moved over. I became a Republican in the mid-'80s, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been an active Republican partisan. But I, I can explain the intellectual development that I went through. And well,
0: well, we we don't have time for okay. that because uh, most of the people are interested. No offense, Doc, but go most on, of the people are interested in, in Obama and what he had to say. And if there's time, I'll definitely get to the the, the process. Or maybe we'll have you back another time. But let, let's talk about. It. So it's October. It, I'm sorry, it's Christmas time, 1980. Your then-girlfriend attends classes at Occidental with Obama. You graduated from Occidental. You all get together around the Christmas time. You go out to dinner. You come back to the house. Um, Obama drives up with his Pakistani roommate, a guy named Mohammed Hassan Shandu, and that's important because we're going to mention him later uh, about his recollection of all this. Uh, But, by the way – I should mention Ronald Kessler of Newsmax did a fine job in, in bringing all this to life. So what's it like? You're sitting around. There's young Barack Obama. By the way, he wasn't Barack Obama. Then what was he, Barry?
4: No, no. He, he told me to call him Barry at the time.
0: Okay. So there's Barry Obama. And wh- tell me why, why you believe that, uh, what he, you know, that, that he was a Marxist back then.
4: Okay, well, my most vivid memory is how insistent he was in arguing a Marxist-Leninist point of view. I, w- I was arguing a, a more moderate Marxist view that just said that even though a lot of Marxist ideas were correct, it was implausible that we would ever see a revolution led by the, by the working class to overthrow the elites. And Obama did not buy that at all. He made a very principled, dedicated, impassioned argument that, in fact, a real revolution was coming and that, in a sense, we should all get on board and prepare ourselves physically and emotionally for that revolution.
0: And he believed that uh, the people would rise up and, and it would be the workers uh, who would who would overthrow uh, the, the, those uh, in charge and those with wealth. Now, did he consider – did you sense that he, even back then – either believed or maybe he thought had reason to believe that he would be a part of this revolution.
4: Oh, that was assumed. We assumed that there was going to be this huge revolution that after it was over, we would be the guys on top. You know, we
0: would be the guys. Making- All right, but that's, you, that's we, you guys collectively. But did you <laughs> sense from him the narcissism that, that I see today? Was he speaking as one of the people, in your view... That, that, that was going to either pull it off, help pull it off, or emerge from it all? I thought
4: he, I didn't think he saw himself as a leader of that
0: effort. I, the way I look
4: at it, I was kind of the young, you know, peace loving Bill Ayers of Occidental College by the time I went back there. And I, I think he saw himself maybe more in a secondary role. Uh, he, he didn't strike me as that ambitious or that studious at the time.
0: Yeah, and so okay, so he wasn't ambitious at the time. It was uh, but but the the, uh, the the revolution that he saw coming, uh, this fit in with uh, some other remarks he made about the United States, uh, where you you say that you 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 believe that Obama perceived America as the enemy. In what sense?
4: Uh, he definitely saw America as the enemy. He believed that the ruling elite had rigged our economic system so that it caused people to be poor. And it it was immoral and it was wrong. And the only way you could tip things back so that we all – uh, could enjoy a more prosperous lifestyle was
0: to redistribute the wealth well redis so he he used that term back then or something of that nature
4: uh well that that was the gist of being a marxist at the time and,
0: and, you, know, and he, the, yeah. you know
4: and 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 the thing I remember most vividly is when I would contradict him and say that you know that wasn't in the cards uh it it didn't slow him down. <laughs>
0: Didn't slow we're, ta- we're talking to uh, we're talking to Dr. John C. Drew, uh, who is a grant writing consultant now in La- Laguna uh, uh, Niguel, California, who um, knew Barack Obama, had occasion to sit down with him back in 1980 um, when Obama was at Occidental College, and uh, John Drew, who was a Marxist at the time, believes that Obama was a Marxist. Uh, he also also in addition to um, by the way, before I get to the Soviet Union. Did he believe that the problem? You say he viewed America as the enemy for the, the reasons you stated. Did he? Did he get racial in any sense? Was it because, you know, America treats its its, its poor poorly or its its you know its bottom class poorly? Was there a racial uh, inference or racial uh, specifics at all?
4: Well, that's the funny thing that I'm I'm still trying to work out in my mind because I I have to say truthfully that I did not see in the young Barack Obama any hatred of white people. Uh, i didn't notice any racial uh animosity in what he was doing my my sense of him is that he was a pure marxist socialist and i didn't see him thinking in terms of race and uh so i i i just think that's that's surprising you know, given what he wrote in Dreams of My Father. But it never once occurred to me that he had any animosity towards white
0: people. Right, because in Dreams of My Father, he did express uh, that animosity.
4: Yeah, a profound, uh, you know, yes. like he tells that story about the black guy that peels his own skin off. Yeah, and, yeah. But I, I just didn't, I, I saw no evidence of that in the young Barack all right.
0: let me ask you about the comments uh, regarding the Soviet Union. And we should point out this is all taking place what was your exposure to Barack before we get to the Soviet? Was it that one night after dinner, or was this a, a couple of times within the Christmas vacation in, in 80, or what?
4: Well, it was it was the one night uh, Christmas vacation, and then I saw him again at a, at a party in June in Eagle Rock, California. What's crucial, I think, for me to get across, though, is that Barack Obama was part of a larger cultural system, and I had been one of the leaders. I I actually established the Marxist Student Association at Oxy in 1976. I did a thesis on Marxist economics, and I was the founder of the anti-apartheid movement on campus. So for my girlfriend at the time to tell me that Barack Obama was one of us was highly significant.
0: Right, all right, now. And
4: very unusual for a sophomore at
3: Oxy.
0: On to the Soviet Union. Um, okay. while, while he considered uh, the American elites and America as the enemy, uh, you say that he had some uh, kinder things to say about the uh, the Soviet Union.
4: Yeah, we we all saw the Soviet Union is perhaps is a a better model of where the United States would go. And you see the same thing in Alice Palmer's comments uh, after she visited uh, the Soviet Union and took part in you know one of their preliminary sessions there was a sense that the soviet union was a more advanced society and even though it had made mistakes under stalin uh, there was there was still greater equality over there and it was a better model for us than what we saw with our existing us government
0: so what did he what did he say what do you remember him saying about it
4: i i, I don't remember any particular words on that
0: yeah, I thought – well, you, you weren't yeah. quoted here, but you did uh, – in the article written by Ron Kessler, you said that – and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but just comment on what he wrote. He said that, um, that uh, you, you, you believe – you remember that he, he thought that perhaps the Soviet Union was misunderstood and was doing a better job for its people than most realize. Is that accurate?
4: Uh, I would say no, and I, I, I think it was more that that was the general milieu of,
0: of the moment. Okay, so, so now,
4: I, I wouldn't want to be on record. Okay,
0: okay, well you kind of kinda, you kind of are in the piece, so I'm glad okay. you cleared that up. I'm glad you cleared that up. Okay. now tell but, now,
4: but now I I, I go to my grave saying that he was arguing Marxist Leninism. Oh
0: no, no, no! I believe that. Now, now, a couple of other things here. You talk about his uh, friend Muhammad Hassan Chandu. Yes. Uh,
4: I'm John Drew. I'm a political scientist. I did my thesis. Honors thesis at Occidental College on the topic of Marxist economics. I had a chance to meet the young Barack Obama.
2: All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. So, here we have it. Now, to be fair, oh, by the way, you're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. <laughs> Oh, we had a little bit of a problem with our theme music tonight, so we didn't play it, so let's get this party started the way we usually do. Today's date, February 23rd, 2012 A.D. Beautiful old town Alexandria, right across the Potomac from Washington, D.C. United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. On November 4th, What it all really boils down to is the future of our country. And here's why. When I started this radio show uh, a little more than a year ago, I wasn't thrilled about uh, Barack Obama's presidency. But it was hardly a, a grave concern to me. I didn't like his track record. I didn't like his lack of meaningful experience. I thought thought he flip-flopped too much on some key issues. I was annoyed by the open bias of the mass media. Worst case, I thought it'd be four years of a demagogue with strong left views. Not too harmful. I mean, after all, Jimmy Carter didn't do any real lasting damage. We can live through that, I said. Countries, well, countries swing back, swing from right to left and back all the time. It's a cycle. I talked about it on Annie's show a couple of days ago. This is how democracies work. We swing to the far left, and then the pendulum swings back to the right. It happened numerous times throughout our democracy, throughout our republic. You can easily see it. Just a few weeks ago, I wanted to keep it light and funny. I pointed out things like the the fact that the change, the VP pick had been a senator for 35 years, but the guy wanted change. But I also looked into then, you know, Senator uh, Obama's past and his recent actions, and I started to realize that we've been dealing with something entirely different, something that America has never seen, or at least not on such scale. It's been almost like unclogging a sink. You open it, you take something out, then you take more. And what starts coming out after that makes you wish you'd never opened the damn sink in the first place. Forget change. How about close relationships with people involved in international terror? Or or the laser sharp focus on indoctrinating our children? Obama theme songs, Obama's Lord, Obama's God, all hail Obama. Or the laundry list of even of every modern-day tyrant openly expressing support for our president, Hugo Chavez, just to name one. Or the persistent suppression of free speech. Or going for 20 years and bringing children into a church that openly promotes hate of white people just as openly supporting Hamas and condemns our own country on a regular basis or campaigning for a a radical or radical Islamic ties. A government that threw a stable country into a bloody mess Or close ties with people who led an organization that unapologetically bombed the U.S. Capitol. I'm talking about Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers also bombed police stations, the Pentagon. And who were at one time on the FBI's most wanted list having coffee and tea, just hanging out. Or vote fraud of monstrous proportions with ACORN. Or accepting a flu a flow of donations from unidentified foreign sources. Praise Obama. Praise Obama.
3: Peggy Joseph took her daughter out of school early Wednesday for this. Her emotions ran high following Obama's speech. It was the most. Memorable time of my life. I, I, it was a touching moment. Because I never thought this day would ever happen. I won't have to worry about
2: putting gas in my car. I won't have to worry about paying my mortgage. You know, if I, if I help him, he's going to help me. That sentiment flows throughout this great nation where people were expecting that if they elected a president, who believed in spreading the wealth? well, you know the rest on the afternoon of April first nineteen eighty three Barack Obama, who was then a senator at a senior at Columbia University, made his way into the Great hall of Manhattan Cooper's Union to attend a socialist scholars conference. There, Obama discovered his vocation as a community organizer as well as a political program to guide him throughout his life. Now, the conference itself was not a secret, but it held a secret, because it was there that a demoralized and frustrated social movement largely set aside strategies for nationalization and turned increasingly to local organizing as a way around the Reagan presidency, In the early 1980s, American socialists discovered what Saul Alinsky had always known. Community organizing is a euphemism behind the advocates for radical visions of America that could advance their causes without the bothersome label of socialist, which would draw adverse attention to their efforts. Now, why is this important? Why is this all important? Does it matter whether the president is a socialist or not? Well, of course it does. Obama believes in spreading the wealth, the redistribution of wealth. And quite frankly, folks, that's not good for anyone. The redistribution of wealth means that he, the president, in his administration means to take... To steal through taxes and other means from you in order to give to someone else. Now, I know a lot of you out there say, well, all he really wants to do is tax the wealthy. He wants them to pay their fair share. And then he wants to use those funds that the rich exploited exploited the, the masses to get. To benefit citizens everywhere. It's a noble thing. It's a good thing. Because we know those evil corporate giants who make all of that money, anyone over 250000 a year, don't deserve it. They didn't earn it. And so what if they did? There are other people who need that money more. There are those who need more. I made the analogy not so long ago. I own two vehicles. But, of course, I can only drive one vehicle at a time. Under Obama's idea of redistribution, I should be made to give up one of those vehicles so that a family that has no vehicles could have a way to travel Back and forth, wherever the hell they want to go. Because to whom much is given, much is to be expected. And so what if I work and I earn the the necessary wealth to acquire the things that I want? It doesn't matter. You've got two vehicles, Mr. Jones. You don't need two vehicles. The government is going to confiscate one of your vehicles so that that family of four over there will have something to drive. That's where we're headed. And if you think that it'll just stop with people like me, you're dead wrong. Because it'll eventually get to you. Any of you out there that has just a little bit more than the next person you will be told that you've got too much and that for the good of the state for the good of Americans you should be made to give up those things things that you've earned that you've worked for and someone said how about those gas prices 2020 radio network is in the house he he asked the question how about those gas prices Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. Now, we have a call on the line. Caller, you're on with the C. Robert Jones situation report.
1: Hi, Doc Jones. This
2: is Karen in Idaho. Karen, is that you? Yeah. Where have you been?
1: I've been out where it's quiet and peaceful and I don't have a phone and it's very quiet.
2: And you've got some goats, don't you?
1: Family. Yeah.
2: You should be made to get How many goats do you have? Now. 11. 11? Yeah. How many how many goats do you need, Karen?
1: Well, it depends on what I'm using them for.
2: Well, what do you use them I for? I have
1: Well, I have one milk goat.
2: Okay, I one goat for milk. You need that. But but no, no. No, no. um The FDA says that you can't you know, just milk the goat. You're not drinking that, are you?
1: Well, yeah.
2: No, 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 I'm no, no no, 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 no. Hell no. You can't drink that goat's milk. You have a permit <laughs> for that?
1: No, but it's for personal use. Pet I don't use. know.
2: No, I don't know, we'll have to see what the government has to say about that.
1: The government says I can only use it for pet use, but so what you, I do inside my home is none mm. of their business.
2: All right, well, we'll see about that <laughs> <laughs> so you've got so now we've got some folks in the chat room who don't have any goats
3: yeah. so
2: and and they and there are a couple of folks in there who said they need. A couple of those goats. Now, where exactly in Idaho are you? Because Thundercracker here in the chat room wants to know.
1: I'm not in Idaho anymore.
2: Oh, you're just Karen from Idaho. Well, where are you? Well, we can I'm, get our hands in, on some of those goats.
1: I I am in Washington State now.
2: In uh, Washington State. Okay, Thunder, um Karen is no longer in Idaho. She is in Washington state right now with the goats.
3: Mhm.
2: All right, okay. So Karen, would you would you mind holding on for just a minute? I'll get we, we need to get back to you and talk about these goats now. Are you making goat cheese with that goat or what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah, the government, you know what? I'm cool. not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to rat you out. Thank you. But you should know that Having unauthorized goats <laughs> is probably going to be a crime right now. Now, Thunder wants well, to know. Thunder wants to know where you used to live in Idaho. Approximately uh, a little town, a
1: little town called Orofino.
2: Orofino. Did I pronounce that it's right? In, yes. Okay. It's All in right.
1: Central Idaho.
2: All right. Now, did you take, so you, you packed up the goats and you left and you went to Washington State. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. Okay. And now are you eating the goats or are you, do you I mean, what do oh, you Oh,
1: no. No? No, I, I'm okay. not into curry goats.
2: Okay, because curry uh, goats pretty damn good. My mouth is watering right now.
1: Well, you're going to have to treat me to curry goats sometime so I'll know.
2: Okay. But
1: right. I, I I told you one time that I pack with my goats. Mhm.
2: Mhm.
1: And so it's like a survival thing that I'm prepared for.
2: So you're prepared so to chow down on one of the goats if need be.
1: Necessary,
2: yes. <laughs> okay. Do the goats and have if, names?
1: Absolutely.
2: Okay. So you would chew chew you would chew on little Irving's leg or. You know, a shank or something, a, a a goat shank or what? Would you chew on it? Would you would, uh, you would you have some little? Would you have some new potatoes on the side with little Irving or Joe or Bruce? Bruce. I won't, so you'd have I won't Bruce. Bruce but you'd you'd have Bruce in a big pan. Obviously, there'll be one of those big tinfoil pans in the oven. You'd, you'd you'd bake them, right? Yeah,
1: you can yeah. fry the meat like you do deer.
2: Right, right, right.
1: Sorry.
2: Okay, so you would you fry it or would you bake one? I mean, would you put an apple in its mouth or
1: Oh, heavens,
2: no. Or what? A, potato, a big baking potato?
1: From Idaho, yeah.
2: All right, and of oh, course, cool. an Idaho baking potato in the goat's mouth, Bruce, with some new potatoes on the side, maybe those little baby carrots, maybe. Anybody hungry? Because I am. Damn. Anyway, (laughs) hold on. Uh, Don't have your raspberry
1: server and leave my goat. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, I tell you what, uh, 2020 says that he needs some goats, and Obama's probably going to make you give up a couple of those goats to some hungry families down the road. So if I were you, I'd just claim that you have a few goats less than you actually have. Okay, all right, we'll be right back. Stay right there, don't go anywhere. All right. Karen in Idaho's got some goats. She chows down on them. Oh, no, she doesn't. But she does use the goats' milk. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back and then we'll get to we'll get to Obama being a Marxist. Indonesia, Muslim schools. Christianity. All of that. And oh yeah, oh yeah, we're gonna talk about those high gas prices and what's really going on, because I got the scoop, I got it, I got it. anybody ever anybody remember that show? That's my mama, where Isaac from the Love Boat would come in dressed in all leather, which is a disturbing thought at this time. Watching Isaac from the Love Boat sachet or strut into the barber shop wearing leather from head to toe, saying I got it. I got it, and I got to report it. Does anybody remember that? That's my mama. Yeah, that's the name of the show. Anyway, I got it. And I'm not wearing any leather either. But I got to report it. And I'm going to report it to you. The real reason why those gas prices are so high. All right, we'll take a short break break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report.
3: Without God, God, there is no virtue because there's no prompting of the conscience. Without God, we're mired in the material, that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God, there is a coarsening of the society. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. I. If I could. If I could just make a personal statement of my own.
2: All right, we're back. I'm missing two. Before we get into The Son of Marx, which I know a lot of you have tuned in to hear about, I promoted it all day long. Let's talk about the real reason why gas prices and energy prices are so high. I'll get right to the point. The the price of gasoline is so high because the Obama administration wants energy costs to be high Obama said so himself he said so is anybody surprised
3: when I was asked earlier about uh, the issue of coal uh, you know
4: under my plan uh, of a cap and trade system electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket, even, you know, regardless of what I say about whether coal is good or bad, because I'm capping greenhouse gases, coal-powered plants, you know, natural gas, you name whatever the plants were, whatever the industry was, they would have to uh, retrofit their operations. That will cost money. They will pass that money on to consumers.
2: There we go. You see, the Obama administration wants – no, they have a goal of outfitting every American with a smart car or an electric car, clean energy, or a car – a vehicle where they're uh, phasing out fossil fuel vehicles it's the reason why the keystone pipeline didn't go through that's the real reason obama is is pushing for his version of clean energy and if we won't go willingly willingly he will force us to do so by making the price so high that we won't have any choice take cigarettes for example i remember when cigarettes were 50 cents a pack yeah i'm just that old i remember when they rose to 2 dollars a pack a carton of cigarettes right now what does that cost i don't even i can't even imagine what it cost now because the powers that be And bored. Smoking. Smoking is dirty now. Smoking is nasty. We've been conditioned to believe that smoking not only kills, which it does, but that it's a dirty, filthy habit. And because there are those who don't want us to smoke, those people in power who make the laws, who make policy, they raise the price up so that it makes it very difficult to want to go out and purchase that item. Well, that's a good example in my my opinion of what's happening with gas prices. Obama wants gas prices to necessarily skyrocket because he wants to retrofit car companies to build smart cars. electric vehicles. Obama told the San Francisco Chronicle in January 2008 that under my plan of cap and trade, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. President Obama and his circle want higher energy prices. That includes the gas you need to drive to work, pick up your children, And go to the store. It includes the gasoline and diesel that powers the trucks and trains that bring essential goods to your neighborhood. An ABC News report yesterday said that we could see $5 per gallon at the pumps all over the country by Memorial Day. A frightening blog post by Marathon Pundits today has various quotes by Obama administration officials, which demonstrate the real goals of raising raising the cost of energy for Americans. One of those quotes is from Energy Secretary Stephen Chu. And I quote, Somehow, we have to figure out how to boost the prices of gasoline to the levels in Europe, end quote. Chu said that in December 2008. Mr. Chu has called for gradually ramping up gasoline taxes over 15 years to coax consumers into buying more efficient cars and living in neighborhoods closer to work. So, it's all part of a plan. And it's brilliant. Except for one thing. We're not a nation of sheep. We're not a nation of followers. We don't go along with a plan, with the status quo. We're a nation of individuals. We're not a European country. We believe in rugged individualism, and I'll say it, if I've said it once, I've said it 26 times. We are hardwired for freedom and individualism. We're not going to go quietly into that good night. We will drive our SUVs and our gasoline cars if it's $50 a gallon. And those of you who make that price that high... have hell to pay on your hands do you think for one minute on God's green earth that I'm not going to drive my SUV that I'm going to sell it and get one of those tiny little smart cars I can fit in my pocket or my bathroom you think I'm going to give up my fine Nissan Maxima or my fine Pathfinder and drive one of those tiny little cars No. What I'm going to do is organize and get a whole lot of people with me who love our vehicles, our big-ass gas-guzzling vehicles, to go down to the polling place and vote your ass out of office and put in somebody who will allow me to drive my gas-guzzling vehicle unmolested. That's how it's going to work, Mr. Chu and Mr. Obama. You can kiss my ass. You're not going to coach me into driving a smart car. It ain't going to happen. And most Americans who are, especially men, real men, aren't going to drive that little candy-ass vehicle. Hell, I'd rather walk. I'd rather walk than drive that damn thing. Who do these people think they're effing with? This is the United States of America still. And if I want to drive a gas guzzling super tanker truck, then that's what I'm going to do. This is why this clown Obama and his minions, they got to go. They got to go. November. Get the hell out of here. All right. Now. Let's move on to Mr. Obama, Mr. Marxist, son of Islam. Let's get real. Son of Marx, an article by Jeffrey Folks from the American Thinker. That's where I got the title from. That's what we're talking about right now. Aside from his childhood attendance at the Muslim school in Indonesia, a school that was selected for him by his parents, Obama has never known or had much interest in Islam. Nor, someone would say, has he demonstrated a sincere interest in Christianity. Obama's attendance at Trinity United Church in Chicago may have had more to do with political opportunism than religious devotion. I have said this many times. American Citizen has said so many times. That it wasn't about going to church... And fellowship. It was about opportunity. We have a call on the line, caller your own with the C. Robert Jones situation report.
4: Yeah, Doc, uh, once again you're
2: hitting the nail on the head. There uh, he is. Say what? Yeah, it's me. Uh if if you could go ahead and make your point about Obama's formative years. Yeah. I'd love to hear your take
3: on it. And then I'd like to say what I like to say after you make your point.
2: All right, all right. Uh, stay right there, Sarge. Um, Sarge from uh, Rapid Fire. Great show, four thirty. Weekdays, I think. Yeah. I haven't seen – yep. All right. We'll be right back. Stay Stay where you are, Sarge. All right. So in reality, there's little evidence that Obama as an adult has shown much interest in any religion. So to call Obama a son of Islam is true only in a particular sense. His paternal ancestors were members of the Muslim faith. And Obama is their descendant. That much is clear and not disputable. In truth, Obama is not really the son of any religion. His father was brought up as a Muslim but became an atheist. His mother was a self-proclaimed atheist who attended a leftist, unitarian, universalist church as a young woman. His maternal ancestors... Stanley and Madeleine Durham, who were not practicing Christians, had multiple ties to the Communist Party USA. Those are facts. As a youth, Obama was also an atheist. His actions as a young man were not those prescribed in the Koran or any other religion. He was, by his own admission, a drug user, a womanizer, an indifferent student. Had he been a devout Muslim, he would not have been any of those things. Clearly, Obama is not the son of Islam or of Christianity, but he is very much the son of Marx. When Rick Santorum referred to the president's radical environmentalism as a false theology, he was perfectly correct. Obama's religion is not Islam or Christianity, but the leftist ideology that Obama learned as a child. If anything, this radical ideology is the opposite of both Islam and Christianity, since it would supplant individual conscience and the conscience of the church, which centralized state control. Of all life's functions, no devout Muslim or Christian wishes to inhabit a Marxist state that would run roughshod over religious beliefs of the faithful. But this is very much Obama's goal within the Marxist state that Obama envisions. All sectors of the economy, all aspects of everyday life, in fact, would fall under the control of a centralized bureaucracy. This destruction of liberty is already coming to pass with the implementation of Obamacare at the direction of a small panel of experts Standard, standardized protocols are being constructed that will constrain the health care choices of every single American. When it comes time to decide upon end-of-life care, oh, it won't be you deciding what to do with grandma. It won't be you deciding what to do with the dog. It won't be you deciding what to do with dad, what sort of care he should get. Oh, No. No, 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 no. It'll be a computer. A computer program implementing the cost-benefit analysis arrived at by a secretive panel appointed by the president. Let's talk about it. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Within nothing. Nothing this president has done would indicate any genuine interest in religion. His feeble February 2nd performance at the National Prayer Breakfast is a case in point. His long-winded address was filled with hypothetical professions of faith, including the blatantly self-serving account of his pilgrimage visit with the Reverend Billy Graham. It would seem that Obama does not know the meaning of the word travesty since his actions so often fall under that category. In this instance, his boastful account of his actions was a travesty of the humble and self-sacrificing faith that Reverend Graham embodied for well over half a century. Obama's remarks at that same breakfast concerning what the Bible says about the rich were just as much a charade. According to the president, Holy Scripture can be cited to support his proposals to raise taxes on the rich. God, Jesus, is telling Obama to tax the rich. And of course, Given that many do pe- people think that Obama is above God or sort of God, well, he's just playing up to the crowd. I do not recall any Bible verse that refers to a 30% levy on millionaires or a tax rate surcharge on those earning more than $200,000 per year. The fact that the president would attempt to slip this message into a national prayer breakfast is in and of itself a strong indication of where his priorities lie. This, and, and they do lie with prayer itself, which has nothing to do with class envy except perhaps the suppression of envy as the deadly sin that it is. Even in the midst of his national prayer breakfast address, the president could not resist advancing his class warfare agenda. Where this president has shown a great deal of interest in the wealth redistribution, following the structures of Marx, Obama constantly and reflexively frames his remarks in terms of class warfare. It seems that it is impossible for him to conceive of the American people in anything but antagonistic terms with the rich pitted against the poor, white against blacks, bankers against borrowers, producers against consumers, young against old, women against men, God against the state. For each of these conflicts or purported conflicts … Obama's solution is wealth redistribution. Thus, he has ordered the entire federal bureaucracy to pursue those individuals and companies that have amassed wealth and to litigate, regulate, tax, harass, cajole them into a, quote, fair, end quote, settlement that has to be reached… But the settlement, fair or otherwise, is that which will require U.S. banks to hand over as much as $40 billion to victimize homeowners and other parties. When will this intimidation end? Obama's goal, mind you, the death of capitalism… That is Obama's guiding objective. The passion that he has brought to class warfare, not just in the current reelection campaign, but throughout his presidency, is clear evidence of where his heart lies. It does lie. Not with Islam or with Christianity, but with Marx. Jeffrey Foulkes is the author of many books and articles on American culture, including Heartland of the Imagination. This is an article I have read almost verbatim, throwing in my own words here and there. If you'd like more and more of uh, Jeffrey's works, head over to The American Thinker. The articles there are spectacular. I write for them myself on occasion. All right, let's bring our caller back in. Sarge, you're back. Any thoughts before we take off 6 minutes left nope uh sarge is not available so we're back the call in number is 3478848500 you're listening to the C Robert Jones situation report what do you think about that is obama godless well, uh, earlier in his administration, just a couple of months after assuming the presidency, Obama visited my alma mater, William and Mary. Not, I'm sorry, um, William and Mary's my other school, um, Georgetown University. There, he gave a speech. He ordered in the hall to have all references to religion either removed or covered. Now, as many of you know, Georgetown is a Jesuit school. There are sculptures, there are portraits of saints and Jesus all over the place. Obama ordered that if he were going to give a speech at Georgetown, that any reference to Christianity or God or Jesus would not be shown during the course of his speech why is that why would the president of the uh, of the united states openly support infanticide we used to do shows about obama asking whether or not the president is the antichrist no he's not He's simply a Marxist. He would like to see the destruction of the United States of America as we know it. He has said so. Numerous occasions. He has openly stated that he would like to fundamentally transform the United States of America. No, to be fair, he didn't say to a socialist state or a Marxist state. His days in office would have been numbered right then and there. He would have been Voted, he would have been impeached at some point would have been gone by now back to Chicago or Indonesia or Hawaii or wherever the hell he's from Obama is a Marxist he is a socialist he's both of those things all rolled into one that much is certainly clear the question is The question is, can we stand four more years of that? You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. We are done for the night. We are out. Hopefully, we'll be back, God willing, not Mark's willing. And you know what? We're gonna we're gonna stretch this out a little bit. Monday night we're gonna talk some more about this. We're gonna have this conversation again. Monday night. Be here. Be square. You've been listening to the Steve Rock Jones Situation Report. Good night, folks. God bless you. God bless you, America. We are out. be signed. Never United States Marine.
3: When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon, walk the straight and narrow track. If you walk with Jesus, He's gonna save your soul. You gotta keep the devil way down in the hole. He's got the fire and the fury At his command Where well, you don't have to worry If you hold on to Jesus' hand We'll all be safe from Satan When the thunder rolls We just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole right.